On today's show, it is the battle of the eras. Who was the biggest? Who was the strongest? Which era had sustained success the longest? Was it the 70s? Was it the 80s? The 90s? Is it the modern age? The the, the 2000s? I, I see you in the back row. The 1960s, the silver age, waving your flags and your canes at us saying, what are you talking about? It's us. Well, we're going to decide it today. We're going to look at all of the different factors that go into determining which era resonated. Do you think you know the answer? Do you think you know what it's going to be? Wait until you find out as we look at electricity, sales, character creation, all of the excitement generated. It comes down to the wire. We declare a winner and I can't wait for you to debate it all with me on today's Observations. Hey everybody, this is another edition of Rob Observations. My name is Rob Liefeld, hence the Rob in Rob Observations. The Rob Observations you're going to hear are developed from me over a extended lifetime. Started reading, consuming all comic book material when I was uh, seven years old, 1974, and from that point on. Uh, never look back, completely consumed on every possible level with every possible comic book uh, content and <laughs> and subject matter and started pulling comics off the spinner rack and followed it with toys and cartoons and, uh, and everything you could possibly imagine in regards to the collecting and the consumption of, uh, uh, of comic book material watched as, 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 uh, as comic book movies stalled. In the 70s and the 80s, after after breaking through with 1978's brilliant Superman, the movie, uh, a movie I still hold in the highest, highest regard. I think it is one of the finest um, superhero, just pure superhero films ever made. But, you know, after Superman 2 came out, which for my generation was great because it had more action in it. Because the one thing, even as a kid, I thought Superman 1978, you know, didn't have as much action as I wanted. It had big heroic moments. But it was definitely light on superhero fights. And we love superhero fights. Part of the conflict is, why do you give a guy claws unless you're going to have him uh, slice somebody with them? You know, why do you give a guy a bone and arrow unless you're going to have him uh, shoot that bone arrow into something or, ma- or or a magic or an explosive arrow that, that explodes? You know, so, so, so the action in Superman 2 was much more to my liking. And to this day, you know, I thought those three criminals from the Phantom Zone were, were fantastic. General Zod and the rest and... And, uh, and then, you know, it, it really, I mean, consider that the next big giant, uh, superhero movie was 1989's Michael Keaton, uh, Jack Nicholson, Tim Burton's Batman, Batman, 1989. Okay. Uh, complete with a Prince soundtrack and music videos. And even still, you know, comic movies struggled and then boom, we hit the two thousands and, uh, from X-Men on just all the dominoes fell into place and we have. Now, we now live in this 24-7 superhero world. I mean, between your streaming platforms, between Invincible and the Marvel shows and, and what DC has going on over on HBO Max and, and still the CW stuff. And, uh, and, and, and before that, we had those Netflix shows that apparently are leaving Netflix uh, at the end of February, early, early March. 
and Daredevil and the Defenders and Iron Fist and uh, Jessica Jones are all um, are all gone. So so uh, man, just very exciting uh, period of my life as I have watched all of this. And in between all of that is a million video games and a million uh, action figures, uh, shelves and shelves and shelves. Last night. I decided to get out and go to my favorite comic book marketplace, uh, the Frank and Sons uh, marketplace in the city of industry. It is my absolute favorite place when I can get time to get over there. It's always generally, you know, just shy of an hour um, from where I live, but it is electric. And what I picked up on last night when I went through it was just the, the industry, the heroes, the concepts, the characters are in the best place possible coming off of the season finale of Boba Fett Star Wars is at the forefront everybody's booths all the toys are are out you know out in the front of the booth there was one booth that I went to that I went to first because I was looking to buy some of their Japanese anime anime uh figures that I had my eye on and lo and behold that stuff has been pushed way back because all the Star Wars stuff has come to the fore and of course why wouldn't it you're a guy who is renting a booth you want to sell toys you want to make those um you want to make your rent, you want to make your profits, you want to pay for your, your inventory, you want to, you know, do well, you're going to put out what people are buying. You know, man, the bounty hunters, the bounty hunter universe is jamming. All the Mandalorians, um, you know, the Mando himself, Boba Fett, all the different iterations. We're talking Funko Pops, Hasbro, Hot Toys, all of it. And, uh, and then of course, all the superhero stuff is, is doing great. The comic book vendors that I talked to, I mean, people are buzzing for Moon Knight and, and, and She-Hulk and, and they're still dining out on, on Kate Bishop and, and the Avengers and, uh, the young event, the promise of the young Avengers. So really exciting time, really exciting time. It's, 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 it's such a, if you can ever make it to Frank and Sons in the city of industry, look up Frank and Sons. If you're in Southern California, look it up on your Google maps. It'll take you right there. You're not going to, um, you're not going to regret it. It's free. It's hundreds of vendors, models, albums, pops, comic books, graphic novels, trade paperbacks, and then an entire huge, because my son goes as well to buy, you know, his, uh, Vanguard decks, his Pokemon decks, uh, just all manner of collectible cards. Then there's an entire sports card wing that is two giant more about two plus aisles of dedicated sports memorabilia, uh, clothes, cards, stuff. So anyway, no, I didn't. <laughs> it sounds like an infomercial for Frankenstein's, but I just love it. I love going there. It's it's so fun. And and last night was the the perfect buzz. I just got such a buzz of everything that's going on in the culture. But we are here today to ask ourselves what in fact what is what is the most dominant period of comics in the history of comics thus far. We are going to weigh our options today and I'm going to tell you decisively which it is because I'm going to use kind of the same barometer that everyone else used, but we're going to, we're going to, you know, it, it's popular not to use all of the, um, you know, j- j- just, just one method, one methodology. We're going to use a couple. Uh, I'm going to actually suggest that one era is, is possibly the front runner in terms of creativity, but the other one is 100%, uh, the front runner in electricity, just an electric era. And, and it, it is undeniable the sales achievements of this era, which era I am talking about is most not is most certainly the era that, that is not the winner is, uh, basically the two thousands on 
And, and let, let's start there because I'm, I'm going to work my way backwards and I tell you why. And, you know, most people have what we've discussed on the show, recency bias. Um, whatever's new and in front of you, you think that's the best. Well, that's not the case. Okay. Uh, again, having teenagers all throughout my home, uh, the, these last many years, uh, I, I've, I've learned, you know, whether it's my, my sports, my NFL, my NBA, you know, everybody picks what's their favorite, even in the, even in the films, the movies that we are now getting, let's, let's pivot to the movies, the star Wars prequels. You guys remember when those came out, no matter how good they were, they all, they all were very popular, but they weren't all critically acclaimed, but something happened. My son who was nine upon seeing his first, I'm sorry, what am I saying? Nine, five. He was five. Because in 2005, I took him to see Revenge of the Sith, and it blew his mind. And he became a Star Wars fan for life, and he's never looked back. And then Clone Wars came out, and the Clone Wars series turned into Rebels, turned into Mandalorian, turned into the, you know, obviously I'm skipping the the J.J. reboots, the Rogue One. I mean, he's such a diehard. But what they forgot along the way was that those prequels hit these kids, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and they loved them. They loved the visuals. George Lucas Vision. From Boba Fett back in the day in Empire, uh, Jabba the Hutt, all of the different Bosk, all the different characters that were introduced, all the way through the prequels with, um, you know, Mace Windu and and uh, General Grievous. I got to tell you, General Grievous is my jam. He will always be my jam. Multiple arms, <laughs> multiple lightsabers. That sequence is badass. I am a huge proponent of Revenge of the Sith. And, you know... But the prequels, adults, I met adults. I met 30-year-olds who would go, oh, those prequels, they, they, they stink. And my kid would be looking at them like, what drugs are you smoking? Like, those movies rock. And so that five-year-old, you know, is now, is now 21. And he loves the prequels. Those prequels have a diehard fan base. They enjoyed them. They loved them. They, they scooped them up. And so you could say recency bias would, would have them tell you, that the prequels are their favorite. And then the data has come out that has really shown, and that's why some of these, so much of what's going on in The Mandalorian is so popular with the young fan base is because when uh, when the Clone Wars came out, my son is now nine, okay? He's nine years old. And he watches every season, pivots to Rebels in his mid-teens, is still into it. It's, it's his, you know, maybe at a certain late 15 years old, it's his guilty pleasure, but he's into it. He's enjoying it. And, and so by the time they start rocking all these characters out in live action, people flip out. Cad Bane, you know, Ahsoka. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it, the Mandalorian is just hitting all the right buttons, growing with the kids who grew with it. So there's another case of recency bias. They put that, those prequels, certainly they prefer them to the J.J. stuff, and they say that because the, the, J.J. did both the first and the last of that trilogy. Uh, the most recent one, the Ray. Uh, trilogy and uh, and then we've got the old dogs like me who are like wait get out of here like you can't beat the original trilogy especially Star Wars and Empire so again remember my my podcast if you heard it recently on sports I mean this is it it's competition it's hey man mine's the best no mine's the best no mine's the best well I'm walking right into this today with a buzzsaw of telling you what I think is the best and what's what what can't quantify either creatively or sales is the 2000s the 2000s things were kind of repairing. Marvel was coming out of its bankruptcy, and you know they were starting to become more corporately controlled. Um, lots of uh, you know in-person 
uh, uh, creative meetings, bring everybody, fly everybody in, everybody argues, you know, uh, throw stuff against the wall. We all kind of figure it out and we plan and we, and we have one corporate giant event that ties into next year's giant corporate event. And I'm talking both Marvel and DC at this point. I mean, this is the age of infinite crisis, uh, final crisis, uh, you know, house of M world war Hulk, the standout being what happened in civil war, which is ironically like the biggest of the sales. But you can't say that the audience uh, for those books was the same. This was a period where comics had kind of burned its way through the system. And especially in Southern California, more stores had closed from the late 90s throughout until like the rebuilding phase, which the 2000s has represented. But along the way, the 2000s definitely has a hard ceiling on it as of now. It is a it is an era of kind of penetration in terms of eyeballs, in terms of audience that it can't seem to get over. And also, I believe the early um, 2000s, especially some of the companies decided to lock in and become either either Batman centric or Avengers centric. Um, and and certainly the early 2000s was a giant boon for somebody like a Robert Kirkman who was able to grow his family, you know, his his wild you know garden of ideas. At Image Comics, because they, they were sorely in, in sore need, and I've told you, I, I believe Robert, without Robert Kirkman, Image Comics is in a different place today. Because Walking Dead became the juggernaut that the entire company needed in order to continue to stay as competitive as they would. You take away the Walking Dead, and I fear that Image is maybe the fourth or fifth company, certainly not the third. I mean, once you got those trades going, once the show hit, and the numbers just exploded. Uh, look at the numbers on 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 the Walking Dead reprint. They're 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 huge. I mean, people now that the book is being colored and reissued, um, it's finding more eyeballs. But the 2000s uh, was really for me, and I've talked about this on a dedicated podcast about derivatives. Is where we got you know Red Hulk and and we got you know Miles Morales and Spider Gwen and Gwenpool and it is most likely most absolutely the age of the derivative. Did you go to your retailer in the last couple of weeks and ask them for a Red Panther? Okay, did you ask for Red Panther? You know you did. My retailer told me that for a brief period, Red Panther. This is the age that empowered Blue Lanterns, Yellow Lanterns, Orange Lanterns. We got DC went all in on derivatives. You know Green Lantern became the most unpopular lantern color for, for a long period of time. I mean, red, orange, pink, uh, blue. I mean, you had it all black, black lantern. We had black lantern. So so the age, the 2000s really, um, the age of the derivative. How many people have been Captain America in, you know, the last 15 years? I mean, between Bucky and Sam Wilson and, and whatever else, but it is absolutely you know, the age of the derivative, there are female Lokis and male Lokis and female Thors and male Thors. And, uh, like I said, red Hulk, uh, red she Hulk, uh, you know, gray Hulk, uh, what, what was, was the original base color. And that was kind of the original return to a, 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 a style of a derivative that happened in the late eighties in the, in the pages of the Hulk. But we've just, um, you know, we haven't looked back. I mean, uh, you, you, you've got all of these different, um, derivatives in regards to, uh, I mean, Joker, Joker's daughter, Harley Quinn. I mean, we are really, uh, leaning into just taking one thing and maxing it out. That is, that is a, a strong, uh, bend. We've, we've got Iron Man, we've got Iron Girl. 
it's it's taking the thing it, it, it's taking Hawkeye and turning Hawkeye into Kate Bishop and again derivative uh, the rise of the derivatives is the name of the podcast it goes much deeper into this and kind of gives you um, the basis with which this started growing and that was in fact the 80s but what happened in the 90s the 90s and the 70s the 1970s and the 90s are the most um, uh, really fertile for brand new seemingly unconnected characters and then you have but venom is part of the symbiote yeah i understand we have many podcasts on venom and and how fun it is when all of the creators of venom argue because there's like four or five of them who are like no i'm venom no i'm venom no i'm venom we are venom right so uh so the thing is you could say okay that sources to the black the symbiote costume and you'd be right but then, you know, David Michelini told Todd McFarlane, draw him with jagged teeth and make him evil and big and muscular. And then Todd and, you know, his his version of Venom became the 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 version, but he had no tongue. And then Eric Larson comes in and gives him this giant tongue and all the slobber. And everyone just keep, keeps beating one on the other. And then we get the, the, the further mythology, you know, built out recently. And then now we're getting a reboot of that with the newest... Venom. So, so Venom is definitely uh, he stood on his on his own in two films where he has not battled Spider-Man whatsoever. There is no web crawler in either of those movies. They are, they are giant successes, um, even maybe in spite of some of their own faults, because people love Venom. They 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 remember falling in love with Venom. Um, between Gambit and Cable and Deadpool and Domino and Bishop. And all of the X-Men characters that came through the 90s. And then you've got Sleepwalker and Darkhawk. And then, let's let's be honest. I mean, then you have an explosion called Image Comics. And you get Spawn. And you get Youngblood, which on Youngblood, you get Shaft, Bad Rock, Vogue, Die Hard, Chapel, Brigade. You have Battlestone, Cold Snap, you know, uh, KO. You, you've got Seahawk. You, 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 you've got the Wildcats. You've got Cyberforce with Striker and Ripclaw. You get Savage Dragon, you get Shadowhawk, you get Supreme, you get Prophet. I mean, Image Comics alone is a giant explosion of new characters that we hadn't really seen before that. At the same time, Valiant was giving a facelift to the old 60s uh, gold key characters. Magnus, Robot Fighter, Solar, Turok, and in the meantime, throwing some curveballs with the Harbinger characters and with, uh, you know, with uh, Dr. Mirage and, and, and Archer and Armstrong. And so, so the, the 90s is this really fertile, crazy. I mean, she, Evangeline, Witchblade. I mean, just the, just the female, the new iconography for females alone was huge during the 90s. I mean, it just it, there was no looking back. And uh, so, so you had this giant creative surge of, of, again, characters that aren't somebody's nephews, nieces, uncles, cousin, mom's husband, brother. Okay, it, it, it was brand new concepts, characters, identities that weren't necessarily, you know, hey, I'm the new Captain America. And, and, and again, I did in my recent Captain America podcast, I talked to you about the first time that Steve Rogers, you know, altered his identity and became Nomad and a younger uh, kid took on the Captain America costume. But then later in the, later in the 80s, you know, Cap was rivaled by, uh, you know, Walker, who was the U.S. agent. And, and we saw that play out in real life in the Falcon and Winter Soldier. And, you know, again, a derivative. But Bucky becomes the Winter Soldier, okay? Same character. We give him a robot arm. We, we you know, take elements 
from other, you know, scenarios and, and, and he's now something different until he's not, until he's back to being Bucky and he becomes Captain America and then he goes back to being Bucky and then Sam becomes Captain America and so the identities start to shift and change and, uh, you know, you got in the 80s, you got the different Spider-Man costume. You got the the more variations on Iron Man's armor than you would ever had before. David Michelini, again, along with Bob Layton and John Romita Jr., had a blast. Space armor, underwater armor, stealth armor. And we just kicked it into, over, into overdrive in regards to um, all the different armors. And again, the, the, the derivatives... That was the base. That's when Gray Hulk happened. And again, Jimmy J and I talked on a Rise of the Derivatives uh, podcast from season one about the the formation in in what what he called, what Jimmy J as a retailer referred to as New Marvel, which is a reference to New Coke, which didn't last long, but wanted to change things up a little to kind of excite people until literally inevitably everything went back to the way it was supposed to be. Todd didn't want to draw the black costume. He wanted the classic Spider-Man costume. So we returned to the classic Spider-Man costume. Um, Gray Hulk, they wanted to justify uh, keeping him gray. They made him this kind of crime lord, you know, uh, uh, mob boss, heavy. It, the, the action shifted to Vegas. Um, you know, it was it was all extremely uh, creative. It was all extremely exciting. And fans, you know, were very much enjoying it. But it was in that very much in that derivative space, that derivative space. Now, the 70s, as we go backwards, um, are, are some, once we go hit the 70s, I'm going to shift you, I'm going to take you all the way back, 90s, 2000s, because then we're going to go to the sales quotient, and then we're going to settle on excitement, okay? Because it's that simple, because I, I really think there's some decisive, absolute decisive results that you can draw from this. Now, I did... The podcast I did on comics and sports, really how competitive it is and how we all have our favorite teams and our favorite jerseys and our favorite players. And we always kind of use the favoritism of one to undercut the other. And I know that I've been there. Okay. I I told you, I, I, I despised Allen Iverson, a great player because he was making my Lakers look bad. Uh, I, I resented anyone who got close to sniffing Kobe Bryant's greatness and denying it. And some sports writers used other players to undercut to this day. Um, there, there's a jackass. I can't stand him. His name is John Hollinger. He, he's now at The Athletic. He actually used his metric system of evaluating talent, this bullshit equation, because my eyes can't tell me what I already see, right? Um, and he became a GM, a failed GM. Didn't have any success during that time. Really didn't have, didn't bring home much, uh, any significant championship or trophy. But now he's back and he uses those same metrics. He is going to go to his grave trying to tell you that Kobe Bryant wasn't as good of a, a basketball player as he was. Again, it, it, some of these guys have their personal agendas and they lean all the way into it. As I said, there were artists, really great artists who told me, why do you like that artist? He's compensating for what he doesn't do well by doing this. And I'm like, I, I love him. Okay. So, so we're going to, Go to the 70s right now because I'm going to tell you that that may be the most creative time when we really consider what was going on. And then we're going to, like I said, go through some numbers and then evaluate electricity. And I'm going to tell you where I stand on all this. And of course, you're going to disagree with me. But that's, you know, this this is what we do. I just, I, I share, I'm going to pull out some facts and figures and share share where, where, where things stand. The 70s was, okay, this is what I'm telling you about the, the, the competitive nature. I, I have to stop myself. You can hear the Silver Age guys going, what the hell are you talking about? The greatest era is Stan and Jack and Thor and the Avengers, the original Avengers, the original X-Men, the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man. They absolutely 
have a point. It's a great point. It could be the hill to die on. Like you don't get better than the launch of this universe. Okay. With, you know, bringing together the Avengers, reawakening Captain America into the modern age as, as he had been kind of put on ice, literally the birth of the Fantastic Four concept, the rejuvenation of Marvel from the ground up with Spider-Man and Iron Man and Thor and Hulk and, and, and Doctor Strange. I mean, the Kirby, Ditko, Stanley, super juice, okay? And they absolutely have their say. Uh, I, I'm, obviously, I wasn't buying comics from that area, era. I enjoy that era. I've read comics from that era. I have trade collections. Um, so maybe, you know, but again, in the, in the competitive world, the guys in that group are going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? It's Silver Age, boom, done. Then there may be a Golden Age guy or two or it's like, no, 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 original Green Lantern, original, you know, uh, uh, Flash. That's where it's at. Hey, you know what? Whatever floats your boat, I'm here to evaluate the eras as I see them during my lifetime. And in my lifetime, doesn't extend further back to the Silver Age. Otherwise, I'll, I would probably bring that perspective, like watching this stuff take flight on the newsstands all around the world, watching Marvel come together and build this magnificent universe that fans rallied around and eventually propelled by the 70s above DC Comics, who had had a stranglehold on the market. You didn't outsell Batman. You didn't outsell Superman. You didn't outsell Justice League, okay? But if you go to the 1970s, Silver Age aside, and you go to this Bronze Age era, you've got all of the martial arts characters. You've got Shang-Chi. You've got Iron Fist. You've got White Tiger, Sons of Tiger. You've got the Daughters of the Dragon, okay, with with um, Colleen Wing and Misty Knight. I mean, an entire martial arts realm of characters was born in the 70s. Then you go Luke Cage, Power Man. you got huge diversity. You introduce Black Goliath over in DC. They're doing Black Lightning, okay? Then you have... Uh, then you go Punisher. Punisher came to life in the 1970s. And drum roll, please. Does it get bigger? Then Wolverine. Wolverine comes alive in the 1970s. And then the new kids on the block, the the brand new, all new X-Men crash the scene with Colossus and Nightcrawler and Storm. And I mean, it's is there any looking back after that? I mean, you get so many new characters, faces, um, yeah, it's the era where the goofy Bigfoot, you know, big hands, big feet beast transforms into the blue furry beast. Um, there's all manner of just super creativity. All those Netflix shows, all of them, with the exception of Jessica, Jessica Jones, were 70s babies, okay? You, 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 so much of what you are digging about what happened in that uh, started with Frank Miller getting on Daredevil in 1979. It just makes it right under, right under the nose. But then... You know, when you go to the 80s, you do get Electra, okay? Because it's it's 1980. She comes alive in 1980. But again, Punisher, Ghost Rider, um, Blade, okay? Blade, you know? Uh, it, the, the 70s is ridiculous. It is ridiculously fervent with transformational characters that we are still seeing come to life across multiple platforms that excite and electrify us. Wait for it, Moon Knight. Okay, wait for it. She-Hulk, all of them, Spider-Woman, okay? They are all born in the 70s. So there is a case to be made that that uh, these characters fueled this resurgence. It, it, it was the second kind of, uh, it was the second jolt that the industry needed to go forward. 
and they didn't even know it or I mean they may not have realized it but with Ghost Rider and Blade and um Damien Hellstrom okay and and uh again She-Hulk and Spider-Woman and Luke Cage and Black Goliath and Black Lightning Micronauts the Micronauts line of characters that I've talked about dedicated entire episodes to they they blew up in the 70s that era was just uh crazy I mean again you you've watched Shang-Chi and you've watched The Taskmaster and uh and all of these different, and, and Red Guardian, all of these characters that really took center stage in the 70s, that got their light either to shine brighter in the 70s or were actually born in, you know, the, the early 70s all throughout. Um, Mid-70s is where you get Luke Cage and you get Black Goliath and you get Blade and you get, you know, uh, Spider-Woman and She-Hulk and you get all of these, Moon Knight, all these characters that are powering their way into our consciousness right now. You get Jack Kirby's The Eternals, Okay. That there is so much going on in the 70s that it is hard to deny that that era came to play. Where that era doesn't have is the giant significant sales numbers. Because as you know, by the time you hit the 80s, they figured out in the direct market that they can really get some juice going. And they can sell 500,000 units of Secret Wars and, and 490,000 Alpha Flight number one, which, were, which forever John Byrne had this bragging rights. I mean, but again, you go back and... I didn't say it enough, but Wolverine, Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler maybe are the ultimate like mic drop, okay? Because Wolverine-fueled kids like myself powered my imagination, my passion for comics. I got a new Wolverine action figure, this Mondo animated, uh, Mondo uh, 12-inch, uh, really custom, super custom with all the different bells and whistles, claws, hands, uh, faces, heads, accessories, Uh Came in the mail yesterday. I had ordered it months ago, but as you know, you guys you guys order this um, in advance, and then they ship it out. And it was I thought it was a smaller figure. It was I didn't I wasn't aware it was like a a twelve inch Wolverine figure based on the animated series, except with the 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 brown and tan uni uniform instead of the yellow and blue. And I put it on social media, and people flipped out. They love it again. Wolverine is such a big deal. The, the transformation into the, into the um, identity of the Phoenix, all of the characters in the X-Men during that time. I mean, we met the Alpha Flight in the 70s. They are born in the 70s while the X-Men are traveling across uh, the world trying to get home. They meet them in Canada in the 70s. They meet, uh, you know, they meet the Imperial Guard in 1977. I mean, again, so much creativity, but the sales weren't there in the way that they were in the 80s. The 80s, the mechanisms were starting to work. They were starting to learn how to how to really maximize hype, and uh, you know, uh, uh, Marvel, especially with Secret Wars, with Alpha Flight, with Secret Wars Two, they just blew it up. They 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 learned very much how to um, how to how to take uh, take everything to really the, the the absolute next level in regards to sales and in and in and in regards to hype. And that set the stage for what I am going to tell you is the most important five-year stretch in the comic book industry, which is 19, uh, let's call it 89, all the way into 1994. And, and, and really, you could, you could say a five, a seven-year period, but it is, it is the greater part of a decade, really, it's more than five years, that defines and, 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 and creates benchmarks that took to comic books to new heights. Comic books 
that, that penetrated audiences that still stop me and talk to me. They stop me in airports. They'll come up to me at the gym and the restaurants. Um, you know, a, a guy on, 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 online had put, put forth like, Hey, talk about what positive experiences you've, you've had with comic book creators at different signings and events. And I read a guy go on about, uh, I recognized him as the guy who signed me in at the gym and for years and we would always have our little brief encounters as I entered the gym. This is him telling people on online a couple days ago. And he said then he was waiting for me at a signing a couple years later. And I, uh, his name I think is Dan. And he said, I call him Dave. But I said, you're a gym guy. You're the gym guy. And so he's still talking about these encounters we had years after I met him. And it was based on his excitement of when he uh, encountered me in the nineties and those comics in the nineties. And when I do New York comic-con or I do LA comic-con or I do Chicago, I do C2E2. I've got now families with their, with their kids and they say, Hey kids, this is the guy that made my favorite comics. Or maybe they're standing in front of Todd McFarlane or maybe they're standing in front of Jim Lee. And I'll tell you something, one of the keys, not beyond the sales. Cause let's do that. Cause of course, you know, you got 3 million Spider-Man, 5 million X-Force, 8 million X-Men. And then as I've said, the young Youngblood sells a million, Brigade sells a million, Supreme sells a million, Spawn sells a million, Wildcat sells a million, Darker Image featuring the first appearance of Deathblow and uh, and Bloodwolf sell a million. And even, even the giant crossover like Age of Apocalypse does 500, 600,000 copies. They, they generate huge excitement. Um, you know, uh, uh, Profit sells 800,000 copies. These are sales numbers and excitement that other companies were not experienced. The big lie that people are going to tell you about the 90s. Let's stop right here. The big lie that people are going to tell you about the 90s is everybody was doing that, those numbers. They were not. That is not true. And when I g- gather the sales charts from that time, you'll see that many of the big names that you associate now who are selling 150,000 copies were selling even more and charting much, much further down in the nineties, such as Batman, the Batman titles were in, were, were in the middle, the thirties, the forties, the fifties. Okay. DC's number one character in the nineties was Lobo. And then through obvious, you know, some different management approaches, Lobo fell out of favor. Um, and, 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 and over time, you know, Batman grew. But when you look at what is comic books? It's a visual form, format. It's a visual medium. It is really the celebration of art and the visual representation of these characters. If it wasn't, we wouldn't have Jack Kirby. We wouldn't have John Buscemi. We wouldn't have Steve Ditko. Okay? Comic books are visual. Otherwise, you're at the bookstore and you're just going to keep burning through novels. But the comic books are based on the cool visuals. How many times have we seen Batman on a stone gargoyle? I know that the two times I've taken commissions to do Batman, they wanted him on a gargoyle. How many times have we seen Alex Ross put him on a gar- gargoyle? Uh, Jim Aparo put him on a gargoyle. Mike Mignola put him on a gargoyle. Jim Lee put him on a gargoyle. Capullo put him on a gargoyle. Tony Daniel put him on a gargoyle. He is always pivoting on some sort of pyre, an edge of a building, but the reason that shot is repeated again and again and again, it's a visual we love. And maybe 
it's reshot from different angles each and every time. Let's throw instead of Batman, let's do it Spider-Man. Why do we buy the same shot again and again and again? Because we love it and it's cool. It's visual. It turns us on. It, it, it excites us, that visual component. It's visual dopamine. We just go, whoa, we see it and oh, we get so excited. Bing, 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 bing. All the pleasure centers in our, in our, in our head go off because that's exactly how we want to see it. Maybe sometimes it's raining on Batman or raining on Spider-Man or raining on Spawn, okay? Um, or raining on Marv from Sin City. You had seven artists, artists, because comic books are 99% art. They are about visuals. This is not novels. Seven artists took a risk, went out on their own, and created a giant success story. That's not me tooting my own horn. That's just history. That's just a part of history. We changed so much of what's to come because of how kind of problematic the scenario I just told you was. And you cannot deny the sales figures that followed us. Youngblood. Youngblood, it wasn't just Youngblood 1 that sold a million. It wasn't just Spawn 1 that sold a million. Our first several issues across the board all sold a million copies. We carried a fan base that was so incredibly excited. So between the Marvel sales and then what is achieved later, later on, you know, um, the numbers across 1989 to, uh, to, to, to 1995, 96. Okay. Those numbers are fantastic. There are, there were people when Heroes Reborn happened who were like, well, these aren't the numbers that we had hoped for because it wasn't there. You know, we've talked about mama's number one and mama's favorite. You're not mama's number one. Todd would say, you're not mama's favorite. Mama's number one, okay? Well, the people at the management, and they're not there anymore, but the people at the management at Marvel had wanted to see other people succeed on these books. And so you can ask yourself, well, how'd they do? Well, you know, I did my research. I went to all the different sites. I gathered all the different data. So Heroes Reborn, we kept telling them, because again, we're in the 90s, and if you haven't kind of come to the conclusion... The 90s is the most important stretch. I'll repeat it again. 89 to about 96, you know, that that seven-year stretch. Let's call it, you could, you could even focus in on just 90 to 95, but let's go 89, 96 is the most powerful sales connection with fans and retailers that had ever been achieved. During this time, obviously Superman, Death of Superman sells, you know, 3 million copies. Drives people crazy. I mean, they're they're hyped. Superman wasn't doing anywhere near that business. How do you not go? You know, it's it's the epic. It's the epicenter of sales, the sales success of all Marvel titles, all Image titles, and all Mar and all um, DC titles. Those sales epicenters are found in the '90s, and also in the '90s, you get this explosion of characters. Like I said, you've got. I mean, the last couple of weeks, all I've seen, and I love the guy. I I and and, and a buddy of mine who is a producer on it said. It is a crime that the Gambit movie did not get made. Channing Tatum, all he talks about is Gambit, Gambit, Gambit. He has used all his mojo for the dog movie that he has coming out. All his promotional mojo, he is working in how devastated he is. He says he threw he threw chairs. He couldn't see a Marvel. He hasn't. He says he says he hasn't seen a Marvel movie in years because of his disappointment that when Fox was purchased by Disney that the Gambit movie was set aside and disappeared and was was unlit. It had the green light at Fox. It was unlit. He tells you it was a heist film. He tells you, you know, it was a group of disparate mutants. It's exciting to hear about. But again, 
Channing Tatum is Channing Tatum is putting Gambit back into the lexicon on the regular. Okay, and and the thing is, Gambit '90s, Venom '90s, uh, 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 you know, Carnage '90s, Deadpool '90s, Cable '90s, Shatterstar, all the X Force characters, all of those characters, Omega Red, who people have this giant cult following uh, for 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 Omega Red, who's kind of like a mid level X Men villain, but they love him. Then again, you go to this explosion of image characters. Then you go to, you know, Azrael over over at uh, at DC and you go to Bane and you go to Doomsday and you see the reign of the Superman. I mean, again, the, the 90s is a sales juggernaut and a creative juggernaut that, that aside from the birth of the Marvel Universe, the 70s is the only thing that comes close to what was happening across the board in the 90s. Heroes Reborn, September sales, Fantastic Four, 315,000 copies. Avengers, 277,000 copies. Captain America, 275,000 copies, okay? Captain America was selling 25,000 copies prior to this launch. We only had two covers. We had two covers on this book, okay? This isn't a book that had five covers, didn't have any trading cards, it didn't come in a poly bag. Captain America, Fantastic Four, Avengers, comic books, okay? Avengers was selling in the 30,000s. Fantastic Four was selling in the 38,000s. Captain America was the dog of the bunch. It was in the 24,000 after a year of Wizard telling you that the best comic book on the market, the book that you should have, the book that you should buy was the Wave and the Garney version. And and, and they did everything they could in, in, in concert with the editorial staff that was working that book at the time, a retired editor by the name of Ralph Macchio. He has, he has left. He did the best to give you a reboot. They quickly... Uh, jumped on from the Mark Grunewald when I was hired. It was because they wanted to pivot away from the Mark Grunewald uh, uh, vision of Captain America. And again, uh, the, the 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 all of these teams, uh, people look back at that era of the Avengers as well as like they look like kind of hair metal bands. Thor looked like a hair metal character, and and the character all that the Avengers were now wearing, you know, flat jackets and leather jackets. And it wasn't the Avengers that I grew up with. But our sales, our, our, our sales estimates, you know, and these aren't final, but but accumulating them from all the different sales sources, 314,000 for, for 315,000 for Fantasy IV, number one, 1996. 278,000 copies for Avengers, which is the best-selling number one Avengers of all time. And and on the John Jackson Miller Comicron report, he he has dedicated this. You don't hear this a lot. Because it's not some people's favorite idea to tell you that the best-selling Avengers belongs to Rob Liefeld, but here it is: two hundred and seventy-five thousand copies of Avengers number one. So why am I telling you this? Because in December, October, no, November and December of nineteen ninety-seven, Marvel got to tell you like they were coming. That they decided to share with you, like this is who we want doing these books. We've 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 ultimately. Um, you know, uh, uh, dialed back from this outsourcing deal that we made with Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld that was, you know, super con- con- um, controversial, especially within the halls of Marvel. And they hit bankruptcy midway through our run. Midway through our run, Marvel files for bankruptcy. Jim, uh, when I don't go for the re-up contract, Jim pivots and puts a bunch of studio guys on these books. And everyone in unison, the back half of the Heroes Reborn books, people were, they've shared with me to my face how disappointed they were. Uh, so, so, so it set the table 
exactly what Marvel wanted. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and then the additional 13 that they put on would be kind of disappointments. So Marvel could use their teams up again and launch them bigger and better. Well, Avengers, the hollowed return of George Perez to the Avengers sold 85,000 less than the controversial Rob Liefeld one, okay? 194,000 as opposed to 275,000. There is almost 100,000 between those sales numbers. The uh, month before that, they relaunched Fantastic Four to the tune of 209,000, okay? Jim had 315,000 on his launch of uh, of that book. So so you, so so you have lost you know 100 and what is a you know I mean uh, 105,000 copies. 105,000 copies is the difference in one year of launching these books. Um Captain America, you, we're, we're going to put the same team that, that that back on well and it worked somewhat but it was like we're we're giving them we're giving them their due. Captain America number 1 the reboot with Wade and Garney, the way it was supposed to be, is 197,000 copies as opposed to the Rob Liefeld Captain America, 275,000 copies. Again, these are all coming in 85,000 short. So that is the point that I believe the Marvel sales structure model shifted. That is why I say 96, 89 to 96, seven years of sales dominance. But then because... The, the, the audience and I had somebody I, I I've never I don't think I've ever told this story before but Eric Stevenson who was my editor at the time and he's been a, he's a partner at Image now he's an editor-in-chief told me that he was at a party uh, uh his wife was a teacher at the time and he was at a party and for her school and different different you know educators and uh obviously they said hey what do you do and he's like well I'm in comics and two different guys said oh my gosh we 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 were really excited about comics. Um, we we had jumped on this new launch, but but we've dropped them because they've they've completely shifted creatively. And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "The Captain America, the Avengers books." And Eric was very bold in expressing to me. He goes, "Rob, this affects people." And an editor who I absolutely cannot stand, my editor on Hawk and Dove, who was completely just as as. Uh, you know, I, 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 I've got an entire episode on Hawk and Dove and how that went down. And, and, and I have never been screamed at so much, yelled at so much, uh, verbally, uh, abused so much as a young talent. And, uh, and other guys would say, oh, that's just him. That's what he does. I mean, you can get a legion of us. It's not just me. Uh, he told me every time you cancel a book, that is somebody's favorite book. It was the wisest thing he ever said to me. It resonated. Every time you cancel a book, just realize that's somebody's favorite comic you've just robbed them of. You've just taken from them. And so I think when the Heroes Reborn shift happened, it was the end of this sales surge and it entered this darker period. Because let's back it up. Let's do the numbers, okay? Again, I, I, sometimes I go too heavy into this stuff, so I'm trying to keep it light today. Um, Batman Robin with, with, with uh, the Jim Lee and Frank Miller, the two biggest names you could muster on a Batman title in 2005 launched to... Uh, to the tune of of 260,000 comics. That is the best-selling Batman book Jim ever did. Is it anywhere near the millions that he was selling in the 90s? No. It is it is it is 100,000 shy of what he was doing or or or, or 70 60,000 shy of what he was doing on Fantastic 4. Okay? Um 
World War Hulk, World War Hulk number number one, giant crossover with all the different bells and whistles. Um, I never bought any of those tie-in books. I, I just, it was too much for me to chase. And I'm an avid consumer. I can buy anything I want. I'm an adult. I've got, you know, I've got a regular income. I'm like you. you. It's not when you're a kid and you have to figure out how many more lawns do I, do I mow? How many more allowances do I try and jam into this piggy bank to justify buying, you know, X, Y, and Z. World War Hulk launched to 178,000. That is your giant corporate crossover for the summer. It carried all summer long. The year before that, and this is the absolute pinnacle, is Civil War, one, two, and three, had sales of 220. Issue three was the the, the high point of 225,000 copies. The war, the buzz on one built to two, built to three, and by by you know. Two and three, it was selling around 220,000 copies, okay? This is the giant, and, and I don't know how many spinoff books there were with Civil War, but it was a big, big deal. It was seen as the crown jewel, the biggest success of this era, okay? So then then how did House of M do? Well, House of M, number one, you know, launched at 160,000 copies. Uh, remember how big, what a, what a giant deal they made Wolverine Origin with multiple, you know, variant covers. And we're telling the origin of Wolverine, okay? That sells 180,000 copies. They're going to finally tell you after all these years. This is the numbers of the 2000s, okay? Um, X-Men in 2002 routinely sold 100,000. It sold 100,000 units. When I exited and took my three-year sabbatical on Wolverine, Wolverine was one of two comics selling 100,000 units for Marvel. It was X-Men and it was Wolverine and that was it. And I was the number, I think, two or three book uh, while I was doing Wolverine, which is like Wolverine 154, 155, 156, 157. I'm telling you this because I've been there. I've lived it. Two years later, X-Men is at 102,000 copies. So this was a time that, that they were struggling to regain uh, uh, viewer regain the numbers that they had lost in, in, in previous years. And again, when you look across the spectrum and, and, and you see, you know, what Batman and Robin did, well, again, so, so, so what did Batman, what did Hush do? Jim Lee coming to Batman launched at 119,000 copies. It was a, a top seller for the year, 119,000 copies. So, so what you have is a complete when 96 happens, those are the last big numbers you see. The launch for Captain America at 275, the launch at at at, uh, at Avengers at 280, the launch at, at Fan Fantastic Four at 315. Um, there was no looking back. Suddenly, the consistency wasn't there. Um, everyone was kind of in chaos. Management takeovers were happening. The the uh, the bankruptcy is in full thrust. And we are still nowhere near, right now, currently, 2000, 2022, are we anywhere near the sales figures that we were doing in the 90s, which also gave us these characters that, okay, you know, people are finding out, they are finding out just how resonant the 90s characters are. Venom and Deadpool together have combined for billions of dollars in the box office. And then you, you, you bring, you know, those X-Force characters to bear. I mean... Venom 2 had Carnage. Deadpool 2 had Cable and, 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 and Domino. Um, you know, people are waiting. Do I believe that a well-produced Spawn movie 
uh, would, would yield hundreds of millions of dollars? I do. There's no denying it. It's absolutely 100% uh, a given if that movie gets made properly. The 90s has the sales and the creativity and what I mentioned, the electricity. I see these people. They are now in their... You guys are in your 30s. You're in. I've had guys said, I, I bought Youngblood when I was eight and he is now 38. I bought, you know, I bought New Mutants 98 when I was eight. He's now 39, you know, or in his 40s or or maybe knocking on the 50s. And they have families and they bring kids and they're at the, you know, they've got credit cards with huge uh, 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 credit limits on them. And, and they've built their careers up and they're out there. And, and, and have you seen the prices for these, this, this 90s art? It's insane. The covers that Todd has done. The, the, the interior pages of New Mutants are going for six figures. This is an insane time. The 90s has been awakened and there is no greater stretch of sales, electricity, and creativity than what was occurring from 1989 to 1996. It is not the early 2000s. When you look and you go the entire, these, these company crossovers like World War Hulk were barely managing 170,000 copies, 160,000 copies. All the way to today's, you know, and, and you look at X-Men, which is in the mid-2000s is still selling only 100,000 when a decade earlier it was selling a million. You guys, I, I didn't just sell uh, on, on and, and the same with Jim. Uh, my second issue of X-Force sold a million six copies. My third issue sold, you know, 900,000 copies. These are insane numbers. Again, follow us to Spawn and to Youngblood and to Brigade. And those numbers carried when, when profit was issued Okay, you guys, it was late 1993 and in, 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 in when Stephen Platt came on profit, the sales went up to 750,000 copies. We surged almost outselling the first issue. That's Now we're, we're closer to 1995. Evangeline came out selling almost 400,000 copies. We are still kissing half a million units. The sales dominance of the 90s, the influence of the 90s is only now really being felt. Do you really think that we're not going to get a bunch, an avalanche of Image Comics movies? We are. They are going to happen. It's taken this long. Um, Deadpool, Venom, Carnage, uh, all of these characters are going to continue to flood. Now, Miles Morales, again, falls into the deviant, uh, (laughs) sorry, derivative, derivative category, not deviant falls into the derivative category. The derivatives, we got Spider-Man 2099. It's going to be huge. Huge into the in the, in the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse. I feel like the 70s can rival the 90s. This is my opinion. But uh, so much of, and a lot of the lack of creativity that was happening, and when I mean creativity, I mean original characters. Let me say original characters. Let me get that right. Was because the editorial edicts from the Quemus area, when Casada and Gemis were there, we're, we're, we're going to look, we're going to, we're going to die down on the uh, new characters and and reboot the existing characters. Ultimate Spider-Man. You had an entire line of comics that were just telling you the same old Spider-Man stories with new art. Francis Ford Coppola was quoted today, and and you cannot argue with his pedigree. I know some of you that that name is a dinosaur, but the director of Godfather, Godfather Two. You cannot deny how wired in this guy um, um, and, and, and the influence he had on cinema. He was the producer of George Lucas's earliest work. He didn't. George Lucas doesn't even have Star Wars unless Francis Ford Coppola, you know, gets behind him 
and starts producing his early his early films. He said today studio films are kind of one after the other. They all have a car chase. They all have a certain pursuit that even the studio films by the best talent we have adheres to a similar quality. It adheres to 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 kind of a formula that keeps things familiar. That is what was going on with the Ultimates. So it wasn't you weren't the Ultimates wasn't a new team as you know it was just a new name a new name for the Avengers. So the 2000s has not broken through. The 90s, of course, the the numbers, the data cannot be diminished. Um, The sales figures, the character creation, and the electricity of these kids who have now grown up and they can recount to you because they were teenagers. That was the time that things were exploding and they tell me it was the most exciting time of my life. Picking up Shadowhawk, picking up Savage Dragon, picking up Cyberforce, picking up Pit was the most exciting time of their life. So that's it for me. The numbers, the creativity all bear out that the 90s, 1989, 1996, seven years of just, and in between there you had legend. And you know, I can say it. I can say it for you right now in my best Todd McFarlane voice. Bravura! Had bravura! What is bravura? Okay. You had all these different coalitions and it was a celebration of artists. Artists, seven artists took the art form and splashed their creativity. Is that the best flex of comic books you've ever seen? I think it is. That's where I stand and that's how it is. And you can debate it and argue it and I can hear the Silver Age guys going, waving their canes at me right now. And I I know some of you, you absolutely have canes Um, and you're pissed. No, it was the, you've got your case. You've got your case to build it. I can't wait to turn in and see what you say. But sales-wise, the 2000s has been sluggish. It has been slow. It has been a difficult grind to find the same traction, the same amount of buyers and eyeballs. And the 90s had everything. Give it to the era that had all of the statistics. And that is uh, 1989, 1996, the most magnificent stretch of comics I've ever seen. Batman's back was broken. Superman died. The reign of Superman rose. Doomsday was thrashing everybody. Image Comics exploded. X-Men, X-Force, Spider-Man reached sales. Figures that have never, ever been repeated. Mic drop. 90s. That's it. Okay. Case made. Uh, Can't wait to hear what you guys say about this today. Very exciting. Um, This is the time that we uh, gather together to um, where you guys are so generous in leaving your um, reviews for this show. We need them so bad. I I told you when we started the second season, it was explained to me how how great and how much that we need your guys' recommendations, your reviews, your, your five stars that you can leave for us, your word of mouth. So when you read reviews for me, I read them at the end of each show. And that is what I'm gonna do today. And uh, excited to share with you guys um, uh, uh, so much of of what you guys have been leaving. Um, and, and, and again, I just want to stop and tell you guys, I uh, I just cannot tell you enough how much I have um, just appreciated all of the ways that you guys have uh, have 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 shared your love of 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 this show across all the different platforms. And again, when I get your guys' reviews, I am I am thrilled to share them. And today's review is from Canada. Okay, got a lot of action going down in in, in Canada. Um, and uh, we're but, uh, but what we're gonna we're gonna give you two reviews today. One is from uh, as I said, it, it is from is 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 from is from 
our, our good friend uh, and uh, his name, uh, Slipknot. I'm not sure what to even say, Rob. I started back into comics in the pandemic. I dove face first. I'm in my 50s. And I have to say that because of your podcast, I'm back doing all of it for the right reasons. My childhood echoes yours and the excitement that you bring of those times has inspired me. Gave us five stars. His, it's a big thank you. I, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, this, um, this review from Garen says that, uh, <laughs> that sa- says, uh, I love listening to Rob's observation so much. In fact, it may very well be my favorite. If you have an interest in the history of comics, in the universe of comics and behind the scenes of comics, you will enjoy this podcast. Rob covers his personal history beginning in the mid seventies up to assume the present day. He's currently going through the eighties and the nineties. As I write this, you will get so many recommendations for books, writers, artists of that time period, take notes, track them down. This show is a hundred percent positive energy. If you're looking for something to give you pep in your step, listen to Rob's observations. Thank you so much, Garen. I appreciate it so very much. You guys, you leave uh, a review for us on this chart. We read it at the end of each, uh, each episode. I'll even go so far as to read. Why not? We'll, we'll jam a third one in here. Um, this one is from a guy named Klaus. Klaus says Supreme podcast, excellent podcast that does the deep dive, analyzing comic book lore from one of the original movers and shakers, regardless if you are a fan of Rob or not. Uh, his stream of consciousness makes the standout listen with his evident enthusiasm his love for the medium and his personal stories. No easy feat considering the numerous pop culture shows that are out there. Love all the insider stories. His per- his impersonations of various figureheads are an absolute riot. If you love comics, this is a must listen. All hail McLeifeld. McLeifeld! Let the Bronco buck! Guys, thank you so much for listening every week, uh, twice weekly. Um, I, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for the recommendations, for bringing your friends to this show, for getting on social media and getting the word out. I am all over social media. On Twitter, I am at Rob Ert Liefeld. Full name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Robert Liefeld, full name, on Twitter. Got the blue check next to me. That's really me talking to you. I love reading your DMs, your messages, your mentions. I love it. I eat it up. I try and get back to as many of you, of, uh, if not all of you, as possible. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld, just R-O-B, Liefeld, Rob Liefeld. Uh, uh, I've got another blue check that says you are really talking to me, your messages, your um, mentions, your, your your comments. I try and read all of them and, 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 and respond to as many and all that I possibly can. I am on Facebook all over the place. You can find me on Facebook, throw a rock and you'll hit me. We have a dedicated Facebook page for Rob's Observations, Rob Liefeld, uh, Rob Le- Rob's Observations with Rob Liefeld is a dedicated page. Find it. Um, subscribe, like, uh, 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 give us comments. I'll I'll read them. I'll respond. I always do. I love it. You guys, we're trying to expand and reach you on every possible platform that we can and find you. And thank you for finding us. I appreciate it so much. You guys, this is the time we pledge. We're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to do, we're going to, we're going to relax. We're going to chill. We're going to read comics, watch fun streaming. We're going to absolutely make sure that we get some chill time so that we can be good for each and every day that follows. And you can bet your bottom dollars that we are going to 
you and I both. We're going to stay safe so that we can meet here and talk again real soon. Thank you.